Are you looking for a job? Or do you know someone who is looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Society of Grown-Ups in Boston is looking for an interaction designer. And Buffer is looking to hire product creators, back-end developers, front-end developers, and designers. We've also got jobs up from Friends of the Web in Baltimore, NPR, 18F, and the U.S. Digital Service in Washington, D.C. And we're looking for staff writers here at Revision Path. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just have to say something about this amazing transcendent event that I attended last weekend in Boston called Black in Design. I would have mentioned it during the 100th episode, but there was already so much going on around the 100th episode. That was a two hour episode. And I didn't want to try to cram that in there along with everything else. But the Black in Design conference was a two day conference held October 9th and 10th at Harvard by the African American Student Union at the Harvard Graduate School of Design. And it was just such an uplifting and inspiring event. You know, as a black designer, it's rare to go to an event that kind of speaks to you both as a working designer and as a black person, like just culturally. Um, and this conference really did both of those things. There were some really great speakers that gave amazing, thoughtful talks that really kind of challenged and broadened not just the definition of design, but the application of design, I think. So much of what we think of as design is done through the lens of technology, you know, a computer or software or things like that. And the people that were there really showed how they took design or how they use design in so many other different, varied, challenging, inspiring ways. Uh, there were, you know, performances there. They had some vocal performances. Uh, there was a really great lunch by Bryant Terry, Cassandra Campbell and Dee Dee Emmons. There was even a kind of a Black Lives Matter portion. There was a soul yoga portion in the morning of the second day of the conference. It was it was everything. It really was everything. And my hat goes off to Kara and Courtney and the committee who really put together the event, the students there. I mean, it's really hard to kind of capture the magic that went on during those two days, but it was really something that I was glad to witness firsthand. So thank you to all of you for that event. So, now that I've got that out the way, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Use our promo code 100 episodes at checkout and you can save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, and a whole lot more starting at only $2 per item. 
They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. All right, here is our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So from last week, we are now up to 25 patrons for a combined total of $184 per month. A huge thanks to all of you who have already pledged your support and your appreciation. It really means a lot. I know I say that all the time. I really do mean that. Uh, If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or maybe even a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 per month. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with Jack Butler. Uh, Jack is an analytics associate at PricewaterhouseCoopers in Chicago. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is Jack Butler, and I am a analytics associate at PricewaterhouseCoopers, better known as PwC. And what I do right now is I work with a large data visualization platform, and I'm helping with logistics, but I mainly try to help with creating content and making sure that content's getting displayed and shown out to our firm and our clients to see what PwC is capable of, specifically in the analytics area. So. So I guess, you know, kind of, I guess we're sort of unpacking that title a little bit. When you say analytics associate and you're working with kind of this this big data, what does that mean specifically? Well, it takes on a bunch of different facets. So I'll focus on what I'm doing exactly right now. So what we do is, and the team that I'm on is called the wall team, and this is what we branded, this large visualization platform. But we essentially create content-specific, problem-specific content. And we somehow build it into this thing called the wall, which is a huge series of computer screens all attached together. It's four on top, four on bottom. And we basically create content to display and and showcase to our clients or to other people within the firm to say, hey, this is our analytics capabilities. Here's what we can do, whether it be simulation modeling, whether it just be the fact that we can show visually appealing way of handling a ridiculous amount of data. It really just varies depending on the the need that different teams come to us and approach us with. And we kind of formulate, okay, which ones are the ones that we actually want to try to pursue and, and create and then showcase. And so how long now have you been at PricewaterhouseCoopers? So it's been a little over a year and a month now. Okay. So it's it's been a decent bit, but at the same time, it's been no time at all. It feels like it's been a long time now. And this is your first job out of college, right? Yeah, this is this is my first job. How does it feel? That feeling of kind of of freedom. The feeling of freedom is great. It is absolutely <laughs> great. I had a, I had a conversation. My mom's actually coming up to visit me, and okay. I think like a month. And she she was like, "Hey, I'm coming up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with you." And I was like, "You mean can you stay with me, right?" <laughs> And <laughs> like the fact that I was able to say that, obviously I was going to let her stay with me, but the fact that I was able to say that and, you know, have that option, be like, I don't have to let you into my apartment if I don't want to kind of thing. Right. That was really, that was really great. I'm not going to lie. But so the freedom part of it is great. The fact that I've been out of school for almost a year and what, four months now is still kind of crazy because I still have friends that are still in school and all of these things I'm still very tied to with worth where I went to school and it doesn't feel real, you know, that I've been out of that and out of touch with that for so long. Well, what feels like so long. 
Well, let's go back to where you went to school. You went to Carnegie Mellon University. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what your time was like there. My time there was crazy and and awesome and terrible and great. It was a whole mixture of things. So Carnegie Mellon is a very tough school, and it, it's definitely earned its, I guess, its out of title or, or presence, if you want to say. But went in there, and I got really busy with not only academics, but a lot of external extracurriculars. I was part of the football team. I was a part of fraternity. I was part of student government. I danced for since like my sophomore year on. So it was a really good time. Definitely helped me grow up a lot. And I think it helped me prepare to be in the real world and excel in the real world in the sense that I feel like honestly, more times than not, the, the stuff that I had to do there is sometimes harder in the sense of you have to juggle workload upon workload upon workload in college versus out here, it's kind of like you have one kind of stream of work that you need to get done and there's that, that's it. You know, you can focus on one thing where there it was like, I'm literally juggling like five or six things at a time, getting up at eight o'clock in the morning, not going to bed till three or four every day for, you know, months at a time. So, Well, the interesting thing about college, and, and you'll realize this like years and years out, you know, those are like the best times of your life because you have so little responsibility like you can have that schedule of waking up at eight and going to bed at at three or four but then when you get to be like my age it's (laughs) it's a a totally different it's a totally different experience wait wait now you sorry so quick question man so okay we obviously we've been out of touch for a while so like well before i go into that i I should let the listeners know that you and i are cousins yes our fathers are brothers yep so, so yeah, go ahead with your So, your yeah, sorry, man. I was just going to ask, like, one, how old are you? Which is, I know it seems like a bad thing to ask, but, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's a real question. I don't know. And, you know, give, so, me, give me a bit of background about you, man. I mean, like, you're running your own podcast show and everything. Like, this, this is crazy. Like, when you approached me, I was I was just happy to be, you know, LinkedIn connection on with you. And then I found out you're like, oh, can I interview? And I'm like, wait, what do you mean interview? Interview, interview me for what, you know? Like, tell me your backstory. Okay, so I'm 34. I'll be 35 in about, goodness, I think in about six months now. And Revision Path is a podcast I started back in 2013. I started it really because I was a working designer. Like you said, I have a business. I have a design and consultancy studio here in Atlanta called 318 Media. And I started Revision Path because I really felt that I knew a lot of black designers in the field that were just not being recognized and not getting that same level of, I think, exposure from the industry that a lot of their non-black counterparts were getting. Because when you look at design media in terms of podcasts and conferences and blogs and magazines and, and things like that, what's reflected back is a very pale, very male design industry. And so because of that, I know a lot of designers out there that just well, honestly, are doing really great work, but will probably never get that that recognition that I feel that they should get. And so I started Revision Path, and now it's been a little over two years, like two and a half years. And uh, here we are. Nice. Okay. That's that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. All right. Okay. That's cool, man. That's awesome. I, I just remember when you approached me, I was like, wait, what? Like, what are you doing with your life right now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to you. Let's talk about Carnegie Mellon. You made in something that was called decision science? Yeah, yeah. So I will go ahead and answer what decision science is now because I'm sure that's the next question. Yeah. <laughs> so 
decision science is it's a relatively new field. I don't think it's very it's it may be coming across probably maybe a handful of colleges nowadays, but it, it is essentially what it sounds like is it's the art of decision making. And so it's a combination of and you can go there are different kind of pathways you can travel down it, but it's it's a mixture of behavioral economics, statistics and psychology kind of all mixed together and, you know, mixed around in a pot, if you will. But it, it is essentially the science of making decisions. So whether that be user experience with a website. So if, hey, if I have a button that's up in the upper right hand corner, is that getting it dragging or producing as much traffic and, and clicking on that button as if I had it like in the dead center of the page or on the bottom right, you know? changing things up like that to see how people react. Or it could be something as simple as, okay, the way I structure a room, how does the, the flow of traffic change depending on how I structure that? Things of that nature. So it's it's very open-ended at some points of it, and it's very structured at other points. But that's essentially what it is. It's the art of, of making decisions and how you can kind of control and change that. Well, the good thing with that is because you can apply that, like you said, to so many different types of of fields like you can apply it to UI or UX design or you can do sort of what you're doing now which is applying it to to big data yep so were you always kind of interested in that how did you sort of fall into what you're doing right now in terms of with the work or in terms of kind of how I went about doing decision science and everything we'll say both we'll say both okay so we'll start with the decision science piece of it so I actually went in to college trying to be an information systems major program at my school is extremely competitive my year in particular so I didn't end up getting in there but I still wanted to somehow work my way into getting exposure to the classes that would be taken there so I went to my guidance counselor he suggested doing decision science with a a background or a minor in human computer interaction so I actually minored in that as well and so that's kind of how I took it from sophomore year on through until I graduated was I focused on decision science but I had a minor in, in human computer interaction, so I got a little bit of the user experience, user interaction side of things, and kind of coupled what I want to do with my major as well as with my minor. So, wow, man, it's a small world. When I was in school, I did an internship at NASA. It was going into my my junior year, Dang. and during that that internship, I was studying human computer interaction. Oh, really? uh, the yeah, the focus was mostly on like robotics and mm-hmm. on haptic interfaces. Okay. But honestly, like one thing that's so interesting now, I saw my first 3D printer then, and this had to have been in, I don't know, like 2001, something like that. Yeah. How big, and now how it's so big interesting. How big was it? Was exactly it was huge. It was huge. It was about the size of half of a room. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so Because fun. they used it to quote unquote print out like the foam core that goes on the tip of the space shuttle. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that's what they, so I guess that's probably why it was so big, yeah. but it's so interesting now how something like 3D printing from there, I'm thinking now it's it's such a consumer item at this point. You can purchase one pretty easily and you don't have to, it doesn't take up half of a room or something yeah, like that. Yeah, no, definitely. There's like a, there's a store somewhere close to where I live now and it's literally just a, a 3D printing shop and people are in there all the time just printing stuff off and it's, uh, you are so right. It's funny how it's gone from kind of a unknown realm to literally a, just an everyday consumer item or consumer service now, but that's interesting. Nice, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So at, at Price Waterhouse Cooper, how did you sort of fall into 
working there with big data? Was that kind of the first choice of where you wanted to work? Yeah, well, so actually, kind of, I lucked up actually pretty big. So I actually interned with PricewaterhouseCoopers my junior going into senior year on a whim, somehow got the internship, went through it, got the full-time offer. But when I was interning, basically my year was the first year to be recruited from the undergraduate level for the analytics practice that they had at PwC. Uh, And so when we came in, I think there were maybe four of us total that came in that year as interns that had a analytics internship. And we didn't even know what it was. It was under something they called national advisory at the time. And we were like, what does this mean? No one else has our name badges. Like there's nothing on the agenda that's, you know, says anything about national advisory. So we were freaking out because we're interns. We don't know any better. And then comes to find out that we're actually like pretty, I guess, special cases, so to speak. And we were in analytics. And so I just kind of went through my internship, did a pretty good job with it. They offered me full time and I accepted right away because I figured it was a good opportunity to get started. And I just lucked out and (laughs) lucked out really, really well with my, I guess, my path from day one, starting with the firm till now. Well, and it also sounds like, you know, the work that you're doing there is uh, pretty impactful. So that helps, too, I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's awesome to be a part of it and do it. And I think it's it has a lot of potential. And I think that's the biggest buy in is because a lot of people don't know, you know, they hear big data. And nowadays now it's a huge buzzword, but no one actually really knows what that is. And it's big data itself is such an ambiguous thing. But working with the team and the teams that I've worked with in the past is, has been a real blessing for me because. It, to me, it's all just cool and, and nerdy stuff, and that's what I really get behind at the end of the day. So, What advice would you kind of give to someone that is maybe just starting out or, or maybe wants to sort of follow in your footsteps? I would probably say two things. One, ask a lot of questions and meet a lot of people. That's probably the number one thing because you would be surprised how many times someone knows someone else who knows someone else who can get you the answer you want or can put you in the right place or the right position. But the other thing I would say is is kind of be proactive and go seek what you want to find, you know. The biggest thing about how I've ended up where I am now is that I was actively like, okay, I've heard murmurs about this. You know, let me go check this out. Let me see this. Let me email this person, have coffee with this person. And a year later, I'm, I'm in a pretty good position where I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. It's crazy. It's, I'm learning a lot, but it's awesome. And I don't think I would have got there if I just kind of taken everything for what it was when people, you know, when I first came in and just been like, okay, I need to make sure I don't push anybody's buttons and got to stay down this one linear path. I just kind of was like, forget it, kick down the door. And I was like, I'm trying to find out where I want to be in this firm. I'm not Mm -hmm. really trying to just sit here and, and let someone else dictate what I end up doing. So now just kind of being fresh out of school, you're at your first job out of college. Where do you see your career going? Like, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Honestly, man, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Okay. It's it's one of those things where my whole philosophy for coming in here, well, actually, when I came into PwC itself, my philosophy was this is a consulting firm. Everyone stays here for two years and then they get out and they go into the industry and, you know, they find their place and that's that. And so I was like, I'm going to use the network that I build from consulting, and then I'm going to end up somewhere in a tech startup or something somewhere down the road. That was like my initial mindset. But nowadays, it's it's more of 
for me, one, the, the situation that I'm in, it's, it's almost like at times I'm in a tech startup within a firm, which is just beyond awesome because of the, you kind of have the security of a corporate job, but you're, you're still kind of exploring and getting to delve into new spaces that people may not have, you know, know about or haven't really explored much. But my biggest thing is that I just want to make sure that I'm learning with whatever I'm doing and I'm learning something that I'm interested in. And right now, PwC is doing a very good job of providing that for me. And as long as that's the case, I'm just going to kind of keep tugging along until something else piques my interest. And maybe that's at PwC, maybe that's somewhere else. But at the end of the day, if I'm learning and I'm happy with you know where I'm at, what I'm doing, I'm good. The money factor, like, yeah, I want to get paid. But if I'm not being educated, I'm not learning and gaining anything from it, then I don't see the point personally. And so that's my mantra, and that's, I think that's going to continue to be my mantra throughout wherever my career goes is, yeah, it's cool and everything to do the latest and greatest, but like, is it actually something that I want to learn? Is it something that I actually value? If it is, then cool, I'll stay. If not, then it's time to go on to the next thing. Keep that enthusiasm. If nothing else, like seriously, like as you get older and as you get more in, into your career, keep that enthusiasm, like never stop that sort of feeling of knowing that you have to learn more and do more, because that's really what's going to carry you, particularly in the tech career, you know, this industry can be kind of unpredictable Mm -hmm. sometimes. And so I think as long as you keep your wits about you, and you have that, that positive attitude, that's a good thing to sort of hold on to. Yeah. Hey, so so Maurice, tell me a little bit about kind of, I guess, your career so far and how you got into where you are. My career has been <laughs> my career has been a roller coaster. So I went to Morehouse College right. for undergrad, graduated there with a degree in math, and could not get a job because the the program that I was in when I was in to work for NASA. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was nine eleven happened, and then they pulled the funding for my program. So I had to kind of scramble and find something because I didn't I didn't have anything lined up for prospects for work after I, I graduated. And I sort of got into the computer science department, interviewed at a couple of places, interviewed at Microsoft and RealPlayer and some places, but none of them really sort of panned out because I wasn't a comp sci major. I was a math major. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the first few years outside of school, I was like selling tickets at the symphony. I was a telemarketer. I was a customer service agent at Auto Trader, like I did a bunch of like random customer service jobs because no one would hire someone with a math degree. And I didn't want to, A, go right back into school, like through graduate school, and B, I didn't want to be a math teacher. Yeah, That was unfortunately kind of all that I had at the time. The first job that I got was working for the state of Georgia. And I was working with the Georgia World Congress Center and the Georgia Dome and Centennial Olympic Park. I was their electronic media specialist. And that job involved everything from working with the internal wayfinding system, like designing and programming that, designing the big marquees that you see outside that like face the road and everything. I mean, I did everything from building interactive CDs. I was webmaster over the three sites. Like there were a lot of things that I did there. From there, ended up at AT AT&T in a designer position, first as a junior designer, then as a senior designer. In the middle in between there, I took little other little jobs here and there. Like I did a short stint at WebMD as a, a web services producer. I worked at a bunch of startups. And then I quit my job. In 2008, I quit my job like two or three weeks after Obama was elected. I quit my job, which was <laughs> at the time... 
you know, it's a scary prospect because I was not happy with my job to the point where it was like causing me physical problems. I was so unhappy with it. Mm -hmm. And I just ended up quitting. And then I started my business. And since then, I've been able to do a lot of things in my business. I've worked with political campaigns. I've worked with big brands like Nike. I've been able to work with nonprofits here in the city for causes that I am passionate about. So that's a great thing. And I've been able to pursue, you know, kind of passion projects like Revision Path or like the Black Weblog Awards, which is something that I founded in in 2004. I was able to really kind of put my time now into these other, you know, kind of fulfilling side projects and turn them into my main hustle and my main, you know, kind of goal. So my career has been up and down a lot. And what's interesting is that even I'd say within the past five years, I did eventually find my way to teaching. So I've taught design courses and workshops and things of that nature. So I do a little bit of everything. I don't, (laughs) I don't really have just one kind of set like path. It's, it's very, it's, very diverse. Okay. So you brought something up that I actually am really curious about and I always want to hear the stories behind this. So when you quit your job and you started your own company, like that's a ridiculously like huge deal. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. is a huge deal. It's a very scary moment for anyone. And I've definitely had moments where I've contemplated doing something of that nature, but it's just kind of the fear of the unknown and, and losing that secure job and everything. And I feel like People who are probably listening to this podcast are, are probably thinking more or less the same thing. Like, how did you decide to do it? How did you make that leap of faith, even with an unhappy job, with, you know, with where you were and everything? Like, that's a huge deal. How did you decide to do it? And kind of what were your first steps once you did? It was really a leap of faith. I mean, in, in every sense of the word. I had, I will say what did help cushion the blow a little bit is that I did have a little bit of money that was kind of saved up. So I didn't feel too, too bad about just leaving and then being like completely broke or something Mm -hmm. like that. I had money that was still supposed to be coming to me from AT&T. So when it got to the point where I was just kind of fed up, interestingly enough, I didn't even give like two weeks notice. Like usually that's the customary thing. You're supposed to let your boss know that you're resigning, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I quit like the same day that I announced. We were in a staff meeting. It was the entire design department and everyone was going around and kind of giving their updates on things. And, you know, this feeling of like the calm before the storm. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I I remember just sitting there and just looking at all these people and feeling just like I can't keep doing this. I can't do this. And then it just washed over me. And I just got up and said, you know, I'm just going to make a quick announcement. Today is my last day working here. It's been a pleasure working with some of you. For the rest of you, you know, have a great Thanksgiving because it was actually the week of Thanksgiving that I quit. (laughs) And then that was pretty much it. Now, in terms of what happened after that, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, the day when it happened, of course, you're like running on fumes and running on adrenaline and just so (laughs) kind of excited that you finally sort of did something that you've been thinking about. And you finally just took the plunge and did it. And, you know, I actually ended up getting, you know, a good bit of support from people that were like, good for you. And I would quit, too. But I've got family and X, Y, Z and stuff. And I just said, yeah, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. Those first few months, I still had a little bit of money saved up. So I had a few kind of odd job clients here and there. I picked up a few clients pretty easily. And then I would say hmm, probably about three months after I had quit and my money was starting to run out. 
I had picked up a client. Actually, it was me and two guys that had sort of found out about me and what I was doing online. And we started a business, like a little makeshift business, doing social media and web design and stuff like that for political candidates. Because the year that we did that was the year that people were running for mayor in Atlanta. And we managed to hook up with the candidates. And that sort of actually sustained me for the rest of the year. And then with a lot of the contacts that I got from working on that political campaign, I managed to parlay that into clients. And then it, from there, it just kind of snowballed. The one thing with entrepreneurship, particularly if you're in a service-based industry, is that you kind of just have to keep the momentum going. Mm. Of course, it's good if you've got your core clients and things like that. But one thing is you're kind of always reminding your clients about what it is that you do because they will forget. But also it's about just keeping the pipeline of work kind of flowing so you can basically so you can stay in business. But yeah, those first few months were interesting because it was right around the holidays. I was just I just felt free. Like I would see my friends go to work. I look at all these suckers (laughs) going to work like I'm just like I'm just at home chilling and all these suckers are going to work. And then, you know, it's, it's during the holidays and then right around the January or so, like the middle of January, you start to sober up from that post-holiday kind of revelry. And you're like, OK, yeah. I should probably start like looking for some jobs or something. Right. And I wasn't even looking for jobs. I was really like determined to stick it through with my business. And so I was lucky with all the perseverance that I had that I managed to, to find something fairly quickly and didn't run out of money and wasn't like shaking a tin cup on the corner yeah. trying to pay rent, you know? Right, right, right. OK. All right. What is the best advice that you've been given regarding your career and what you do? I would probably have to circle back. And I mean, I guess this is, I guess my whole, my mantra with this, I guess, PwC thing is uh, PwC has a a saying, they say like, do PwC your way. And I guess I've kind of taken hold of that a little bit. And I really think that is the way you should approach your work, whether like whatever it is, is that you should do it your way and you shouldn't let someone else dictate the path that you go down. The whole point of you getting in the workforce is, is for you to grow as a professional, as an individual. And I think a lot of times, especially when you're young and you're impressionable and people, you're like, I, I, you know, I have to you know do right by this person. I have to impress them because they're going to help me get wherever is people end up going down. I mean, I think this may have been, and I don't want to like assume anything, but this may have been kind of how you ended up doing is that you were working for someone that are working, doing a job that you didn't even really like. And, you know, that's what ends up happening is to a lot of people, I feel like, is that they are so stuck on, you know, doing the status quo of I'm in corporate America. I need to do, follow the hierarchy, do this, do that drink the Kool-Aid in every sense of the word, and they lose track of what it is that they actually enjoy doing. And I feel like you have to have some of that in in the work that you do. You have to be able to figure out what it is that you like about your work and then make that happen. And if you don't like what you're doing with work, you need to either change it or you need to get out. And I think kind of doing things your way and finding what really makes you tick in your work life is absolutely important because that's what's going to get you through the day. I mean, you're most people who have a nine to five, that's eight hours of their day, you know, another eight hours is spent sleeping. And then the rest of it's kind of spent doing whatever you have to do in between. But a huge chunk of your life is spent working. 
And if you're, if you're unhappy while you're working, then why, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you put yourself through that when you know that there's a better way to do it? And sometimes again, maybe that's, you need to get out of a job. Maybe that you need to quit. Maybe you need to find a new job or a lot of times people just, you need to spin what you're doing now into something that you actually want to be doing within your company. I mean, I've, I've seen people do it. I have friends who have done it. We even within the year that we've been out of, out of college, they spun it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm one of those examples where I took an opportunity and I was like, yeah, this is cool, but like, can I do this? And just kind of pried and, and pushed until I kind of got to where I wanted to be. So, mm-hmm. So what kind of keeps you motivated and inspired? Because it sounds like I get the feeling like this has been instilled in you from maybe since you were a kid, like this feeling of if you're not happy with something, then don't do it or try to change it. But but what kind of keeps you going? Honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the people that I went to school with. When I think of when I really think about it, I went to school with a bunch of bright people. I mean, like a ridiculously number of bright people. And I mean, I was by no means the smartest person there, or the top like 20% of the smartest people there or whatever. But CMU was a culture where, where we were about kind of breaking down those barriers and we were about exploring and doing things that we were interested in. And I think that's part of the reason why it has such a great rep as a research institute is because you get students who are genuinely passionate about something and they're like, I'm going to find a way to make this work. Like, I want to explore this. I want to do this. And you're enveloped in that culture from day one. And you're there for four years. It kind of it gets instilled in your brain whether you want it to be there or not. And I think that has a lot to do with kind of the way I approach work now is in the sense that I'm just like, okay, if I can't get what I want out of this, then I'm going to go find something else. I'm going to go do something that is is what I want or that I can get some fulfillment out of. I think I think a lot of it had to do with who I went to school with and, and the school that I did go to. Did you have any mentors that helped you out? Oh, yeah, man. Holy cow. I had probably two or three of them that were either seniors or a year above me when I was there or that were actual professors. Probably my biggest mentor was he was an entrepreneurship professor named Robert Culbertson, R.F. Culbertson for short. But he had a class that was essentially entrepreneurship 101. And we literally went out there and we were pitching ideas. It was like a week long. We had like each week was a different task we had to do, whether it was sales or, or marketing. And we had people we had to pitch to and all these different things. And it was, it just taught us a lot of really great and awesome life lessons, like not even just work life lessons, like life lessons about mm-hmm. how to approach people, how to think about a situation, how to go about solving it, how to have a plan B, all these other things. And that class itself was, was something that was great, but RF and I actually formed a pretty strong bond and I actually ended up TAing his class for about a year. And I still email him and talk to him now constantly, just, you know, catching up, seeing how his family's doing, how he's doing, what he's up to. And he does the same with me. And I mean, all this stuff. And it just kind of I think he was probably the biggest influence on on my I would say, like my ability to say, well, what's the impact for me? What are we really getting out of this? You know, what's the what's the end all be all? What's you know, what's the reason? Why are we kind of doing this? You know, is this really going to be something that's going to end up well is, is it something that we maybe should rethink all this stuff it's, it's just kind of i don't know he kind of took me under his wing and he took a few of us under his wing and i think he's carried me a good bit up until where i am now so nice nice 
So what's a typical day like for you? Like walk me through a day in the life of Jack Butler. Right now it's kind of crazy. So I run logistics as well for for the, the team that I'm on. And we have an event coming up in about a month and a half. And a lot of the, the content that we're supposed to create, so we're creating content specific to this event and a lot of the people that we're working with are kind of talk, not talking in circles, but they're they keep wanting to add things on to what we're we're trying to do, and they're kind of slowing down the pipeline. So it's a lot of pushing and nudging, and being like, we need this decision to be made, and we need that this is the cutoff, and all these things, and trying to put together the right people and the right conversations and all that. So it's it's a madness with that. But typical day to day, I come in and I, I work with the wall. I typically start running through some emails, doing some some typical tracking of different logistics that we have going on, whether it be events that we have coming up soon or just where we're at with uh, status updates for con- different content pieces that we're working on. Um, I have a few calls. I actually have a lot of calls lately just with, again, different groups of people that we're, that we're all coordinating with to create this, this content. And then after all that craziness happens, you know, I end up doing taking some time on my own to do a little bit of coding right now I'm, I'm using a code school plural site as two sites that i use to kind of go through and learning more right now about kind of front-end design stuff so a lot of uh html css javascript and then once work is all said and done i go rock climbing that's that's how i try to relieve my stress is to go rock climbing so i haven't been doing it as much lately because it's been more working than playing but you know right. balance comes eventually have you had a chance to kind of check out what the, the local tech scene or startup scene is like? I had a brief chance and I haven't gone back. So actually, I don't remember how. I think it was a, a meetup, like the meetup app. So the analytics group that I'm in and then specifically there's like a subgroup called the analytics innovation accelerator that I'm kind of tied into. Again, we do a lot of like the kind of the, the research and development in our practice. And so we went to one where it was basically looking actually publicly available data and how startups and, and different people were, were using that to create the next startup in Chicago and, and all those things and how the government was trying to, you know, pull people in to do it and all these things. So that was probably last year around, I would say, December was the last time I really checked that stuff out. And so it's been a minute, but that was really cool to see everything that was out there. And the, the, the startup scene in Chicago is actually growing pretty fast, which is cool. But mm-hmm. I've been so wrapped up since then that I really haven't had a chance to to kind of pry into it any more than that. So I know that in the past few years, you moved from living in Atlanta because you're from Atlanta originally, right? right? Right, Living in Atlanta to living in Pittsburgh, where Carnegie Mellon is, to living in Chicago. And... I know that even with all of this, it's sort of like the culture shock of adapting to each different place. If you had to live somewhere else, though, where would you want to live? I would probably say I'd go down to San Fran for a while or San Fran or or Los Angeles. I'm not sure which one. I think San Fran would probably be better in the sense of of work. But I think Los Mm -hmm. Angeles low key might be more fun. But that would probably be somewhere on the West Coast is definitely where I'd want to go next. I think there's just with my interest in the tech space, it's just too good of an opportunity not to try to go there if I ever had the chance to, um, mm-hmm. especially at this age. Like, I'm so young. It doesn't, like, me picking up and moving my stuff requires literally me getting a van and driving yeah. cross country. You know, I, that's how little stuff I have. So 
If I had the opportunity, that would definitely be the next place that I would choose to go. What are you excited about at the moment? This can be work, it can be personal, anything. Wow, I don't know why this question is the one that's stumping me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the things you've asked me today, Maurice, um, this has something to do with way in the future. But So my niece is actually coming up to Chicago for her spring break. We kind of arranged that to happen, and I haven't seen her in a, a long time since I moved up here, actually. I think I saw her briefly. Mm-hmm. The last time I was back home and sometime in the summer, it was, yeah, it was in March. That was the last time I went back home. So it'll be really cool to have her up here for a few days. Uh, I miss her a lot. And we, How old is know, she? She's going to be a junior now. So I think she's 16 going on 17, which is just crazy, wow. crazy to think about. Yeah, man. Is this Kennedy? This is Kennedy, dude. <laughs> wow. Dude, she, wow. Got her, she got her driver or i think she's getting her driver's license sometime soon like it's it's kind of crazy to think about that is kind of crazy right <laughs> wow so wow. she she is a a young lady at this point i can't even call her a little brat anymore because she's just not <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably what I'm most excited about right about now, just because it's been a long time and it'll be nice to have. Because we're, I mean, we're kind of like, we're more brother and sister almost than than me and Kim are, you know, Cause just because of yeah. the age difference. But, you know, yeah. it, it'll be kind of nice to, to allow her to get out, spread her wings a little bit and spend some quality time with her. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next, let's say the next five years? It's 2020. What would you like to see yourself doing or, or working on? I'm not sure entirely, but I think right now my biggest thing is I, I really – so I'm, I'm kind of in the becoming more of a product manager in my mm-hmm. role. And I think I, I can really see myself getting behind that in a kind of a product manager slash data scientist mix of some sort. I could really see myself doing something along those lines where I'm kind of creating something new within – whether it's PwC or somewhere else, just within – you know, the data science field, and I'm kind of overseeing all the moving pieces of that and making sure that it's all coming along together. I think that's where I see myself, and that's where I'd like to be. You know, that's where I see there, there being a lot of impact and a lot of kind of openings for me to go into. So wouldn't be mad about that. That wouldn't be too bad, yeah. So, Jack, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Yeah, if you guys want to go to my LinkedIn, it's yeah, LinkedIn.com slash JackButler906. That's pretty much the only information you've got from me. I don't think, I mean, I, don't, I won't worry about my Instagram or anything like that. There's nothing useful out there. But if you guys want to connect with me, <laughs> uh, you know, outside of this podcast or anything, definitely go to my LinkedIn page. All right. Sounds good. Well, Jack Butler, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, it's one thing, you know, to be able to talk to someone that is just kind of starting out their career and kind of seeing where they're going. But also, I think just, you know, the bond that we share as being family also. It's so interesting to kind of see the things that you're doing and then remembering where I was at at that age yeah. and what I was doing. And, and just like the outlook that you have now on life and your career is something that I wish I would have had like at that age to have that same kind of like stick to So I hope that people that are listening to this, particularly if they're just out of school, you know, kind of like you are, will really kind of latch on to that and really 
embrace that as something that they should put into their lives. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, man, no problem. And, and Maurice, dude, thank you for having me on here. It's uh, crazy to think this is how we reconnected again, but it's kind of awesome at the same time, man. And uh, we definitely we need to stay in contact from now on. So outside of the podcast, I look forward to, to keeping in touch, man. Absolutely. Thoughts of love are And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Jack Butler and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Jack and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code 100 episodes at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com today, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday, and if you see something else that you like while you're there, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps us kind of bump up in the iTunes rankings. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.